This is an AMI podcast. Hello, I'm Joyita Gupta, host of The Pulse on AMI Audio. It's a show featuring in-depth conversation about the biggest challenges facing the disability community. With today's fast-paced news cycles, it's often hard to get the big picture. Join me and other members of the disability community as we take a deeper dive into the issues that matter to you. Listen to The Pulse wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Lawrence Gunther. Welcome back to Outdoors with me, Lawrence Gunther. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Miss Lily, of course. He promises to be schooling us on some big birds and it has nothing to do with Sesame Street. We're going to talk about a bucket list location near Niagara Falls, guaranteed to make you connect with birds in real life. Then we're going to chat with Dave Brown about feeding your birds in their backyard and what that means in terms of responsibility. I've got some tips on birding from the Audubon Society and an app you might want to try out for identifying bird sounds and learning about the different species of birds in Canada and North America. I'll meet you back at the campsite. Getting schooled with Miss Lily. Lily, how are you today? I am very good. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you gave me a little heads up. You said something about Big Bird, but I don't think we're going to talk Sesame Street. Say anything about Big Bird. Okay. Um, the oh. Cry of Jack and Boreas. What? Was that a big bird? Sure. Is it? Sure, it's a big bird. Is it? Like, I've never heard. Is that the big bird on Sesame Street? No. It's not a big bird on Sesame Street. Um, it's a it's a dragon dinosaur thing. Oh, look, you're not taking me down this dragon no, thing again. Because, I wish. Because I mean, I had to watch all those shows with you, all those movies. No, you know how to yeah, train your dragon. You know, there was a lot of movies. I liked them. But there was I... three movies. Don't complain. <laughs> Could have been worse. I had to watch all the Star Wars. Um, <laughs> That's true. Okay, what is it? The Cryo Dragon Boreas, which means frozen dragon of the north wind. Huh. They just discovered it. It's one of the largest uh, flying animals in history. No way. Yeah. The largest flying animal in history. And where did they discover this? It, it was fi- found in the Badlands of Alberta. The, okay, that's where they find all the uh, the dinosaur bones. Oh, well, yeah, it's pretty dry down there. So Cool. They'd find a lot of stuff. Uh, I could grow up to 13 feet, like, in height. Thir- 13 feet in height. Like, So, hang on. Is this a dinosaur we're talking about? Yeah, it's a dinosaur. A flying dinosaur. It's a flying dinosaur. It's like a pterodactyl. The biggest flying animal ever. Yeah, one of them. One of them. Mm-hmm. There's bigger? What I don't think so. So, it's a... Uh, what what's it called? The Cryodracon Boreas. Cryodracon Boreas. Yeah. So, it's 13 feet tall. So that's like four meters tall. So if it's standing on its perch mm-hmm. from from the ground to the top of its head, four meters. Yeah, but it could have a wingspan of 30 feet. That's as long as a bus. Yeah, that's big. That's huge. Yeah. Man, I wouldn't want to be out there walking around and that thing flying over my head. That's just, that's just ginormous. Like they described it as having very odd proportions like most dinosaurs. They weren't very evolved. It has a long neck. Yeah huge wings and a slender head that was about three to five times the length of its body. 
The head? The head was long. Yeah, three times bigger than its body. Like, longer. Really? Yeah. I wonder why, eh? Like, why would it have such a long head? A big a big beak? They're counting the beak? Is uh, it a beak or is it a... It's like, like a beak. It's. They said it didn't, it didn't have very good chewing mechanisms or none at all. Yeah. Like, it, it, I don't... I don't think it had teeth. The, the people who found it thought maybe it was just looking for, like, smaller things that it could just swallow. Right. So it had a long beak to pluck it out of the grass. Yeah, like fish and anything oh, from the water, baby dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. anything that could have just pluck up and swallow, like, yeah, like a big lewd. <laughs> yeah, someone said, um, imagine a giant flying murder head. Murder head. If the thing is 13 feet tall, 4 meters tall, that head must have been must have been at least 2 meters long. Yeah, it's a big head. You've seen this? They've shown you you saw pictures of it? There was an artist who worked with the researchers who try, who tried to like copy what it looked like. Yeah. Um and it was it had a very short body but had a long a long head, yeah. And what color is it? Boring dinosaur green? Well, the artist I saw made it look like a Canadian flag. I doubt that's actually what it looked like because that had been way too creepy. Huh. Was it red and white? Yeah, so it was white and the tips of its wings were red, but on its back was like a huge red splotch that looked like a Canadian leaf. Oh, yeah. So it, I think they just made it look like a just Canadian taking flag. Just they're, they're planting the flag on this dinosaur flying to pr- show everyone this was found Can- in Canada. Canadian. Yeah, 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 Canadian. Yeah, but it had... <laughs> Yeah, it has a very short body. That's, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, and and a tail. Mm, tiny little tail. A tiny tail. So not like a big, you know, Tyrannosaurus Rex tail. No, no, it had a small little dippy tail. Cool. And big claws. Does it show the claws? Well, it had talons, right? At yeah. the tip of its wings, like most, like. Really. Well, yeah, like most uh, pterodactyls. Like, little claws at the tip of its wings if it wanted to, like, climb up something. Really? I did not know that. That's just creeping me out now, man. That's just... Really? That's most dragons. <laughs> You're not very educated in dragons. Uh, I, You know that. You know, I don't, I don't buy into the whole dragon theory like you do. Oh, well, the dragon theory, buddy, was just proven, so... <clears throat> <laughs> Where on the internet? This is a dragon. Uh, this... It's a dinosaur, but it's a dragon. Called... Cryodracon Boreas, literally frozen dragon of the north wind. Huh. That's a cool name. Yeah. It's a cool well, name. It's Latin. Everything sounds cool in Latin. I think we uh, we we now have a new big bird. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah, I know. Thanks, Lily. Yeah. Time for the bucket list. Not so long ago, I visited Bird Kingdom near Niagara Falls, Canada with the family. What a treat. You know, this is a organization that's brought together hundreds of birds under one roof and created a whole interactive experience where you actually get to connect with the birds in real life. I mean, you hear them, you talk to them, they talk back to you, and then you get to feed them. They actually land on your shoulders and uh, you get to uh, feed them stuff they love to drink. Here's more about Bird Kingdom from their website. Bird Kingdom is the world's largest free-flying indoor aviary. Bird Kingdom is located a five-minute walk from Niagara Falls and is open year-round. Discover hundreds of tropical birds as you explore the pathways throughout the multi-level rainforest. 
Exotic colorful birds fly freely in the 50,000 square foot multi-level rainforest. The main aviary is home to a diverse collection of 400 birds representing nearly 80 species from around the world. Bird Kingdom's Animal Encounters is the place to get up close and personal with exotic birds, animals, and reptiles from around the world. Touch and hold exotic creatures from the rainforest. Snakes, tortoises, bearded dragons, parrots and amazing creatures are here for you to interact with. And they really mean that. I mean, you're really interacting with these uh, birds and other creatures. I mean, they're letting you touch them. you got to clean your hands. And the whole operation is accessible for people with wheelchairs as well. Laura Keat Landing provides an unforgettable experience where you may feed and interact with the playful Laura Keat birds. This unforgettable experience allows the Laura Keat birds to land on you as you feed them nectar. The rainbow Laura Keat is a medium-sized species of Australasian parrot which is native to the eastern seaboard of Australia, eastern Indonesia, Papua New Guinea, New Caledonia, the Solomon Islands and Vanuatu. Laura Keats range in length from 25-30 cm with an average wingspan of 17 cm. Their plumage is very bright and colorful. What's really neat about these birds is they land on your shoulders and you hold up these little paper cups that they drink out of and they're so light, like really, you, they touch down on your shoulders. You don't even feel the weight, the size of these birds. You know, they're maybe, well, like they said, they're maybe as tall as your hand. The only thing you feel is their claws just lightly touching your shoulder and then you hold up the cup the little paper cup, and they, they sip out of it. It's absolutely amazing. These birds are so well-trained and uh, that they, they never touch your head. They're flying all around. You just have to hold still, and then they'll just come over. Boom, then they land on you. Have a little sip, and when it's gone, they leave and move on to the next person. You know, it's great when you can get to an organization like this that actually lets you interact physically, communicate, talk to, feel, smell, hear the animals. You know, it really makes a connection. And... You know, I'm not a huge fan of zoos, and as a blind person, going to a zoo and just being told there's an animal out there somewhere, and, you know, you could sit at home as a blind person and have that same experience almost, without the smells, of course, but to be able to actually physically interact with the animals makes a connection that lasts a lifetime. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. The spring and summer of 2020... Well, we were mostly locked down due to the COVID-19, and it left a lot of people feeling caged. For those lucky ones who have access to backyards, many reached out to their feathered friends for some company. Now, Lawrence, <laughs> just, just how do we know that more people are connecting with wild birds this year than before? You know, Dave, it's supply and demand, right? It's... um. The demand for bird seed shot up by April. It had already increased year over year by 10 to 15%. That was early April already, right? So we were just like two, three weeks into the uh, lockdown, and people were thinking, oh, man, I, I, I need some company. Mm -hmm. I know. I'm going to feed the birds. I'll get them to come to me. So uh, it shot up, and, and the um, thank goodness the farmers across uh, central Canada, Manitoba especially, they saw this coming as well, and, and they planted extra sun flowers and met that demand that just kept rising over the summer how about you did you indulge did you uh, get out on the back patio back in the garden and put up some bird feeders 
We've always had one, but we expanded the buffet to three. Keeping them topped up was a challenge, especially with all the other critters around in backyards, right? But uh, no, it went well. We uh, we quite enjoyed it. My wife and I sat out on the back deck and, uh, and observed the uh, birds, listened to the birds, and she described them to me, and I, I sort of tried to listen in and understand what I was hearing. Lawrence, you mentioned that melodic elements. That's one of the beautiful things about having extra birds in your life is that they tend to sing a lot of songs. They tend to chirp quite a bit. Is that an indication of how they're feeling? Can we get a sense of how they're feeling based on the sounds they're making? You know, everyone always asks us to, did you hear that bird? And what kind of bird is that, right? The normal bird identification kind of shtick. But if you, if you're not trained to do that, you kind of feel well. What's the point? But you know what? If you if you listen, if you truly listen, there's always more than one bird in a tree, and there's always many different species of birds. And what I figured out with these three bird feeders and my wife's observations of how they go from the trees to the feeders, they're talking to each other, they're chirping at each other, and they've they've developed this sort of pecking order. You know, pardon the pun, but uh, you know they li- they sort of line up and they talk to each other and they take turns, and as they're taking turns, they're talking and they're chirping back and forth and they're just having a great old time in the trees, and when you hear that that talk back and forth, you realize if you listen closely, they're not talking over each other, they're talking between each other, and it becomes almost like a an orchestra with many different instruments playing in a sort of a symphonic manner that creates a a beautiful music of its own. Even if you don't know the birds and you can't see the birds, just that sort of harmony and the spacing and the rhythm of their calls back and forth is quite beautiful. Lawrence, you mentioned those other critters in the backyard who might be getting into the feeders too. Uh, The squirrels are out and about. Uh, On my back patio, I saw a raccoon last Friday who came right up to my screen door and wanted some of my pot roast. And I told him, sorry, Rocky, none of this. That's my pot roast tonight. Uh, But what about about the squirrels? What about the raccoons? What about the chipmunks? Are they getting some extra access to some grub too? Well, you know, there's the always the feeding order, right? I mean, the the raccoons will eat the squirrels, and the squirrels will eat the bird seed, and they'll eat just about everything. But we did some adjustments. I have an old garage in the back corner. I hung the uh, bird feeders under the eaves, and uh, I, initially I hung them. I centered centered them under the eaves, but then the squirrel, one squirrel in particular, this black and brown one, it would hang by the eave trough by its front paws and then swing swing back and forth until it could hook its paws onto the chain on the bird feeder and then shake the bird feeder like crazy. So all the bird feed would fall out on the ground (laughs) and its buddies would be down there just chowing down, right? And it was just the one squirrel. And it took him a while to figure out how to do that. Like he tried a few different ways, jumping at it and flying at it. He would fall to the ground. We thought, man, he's going to kill himself. But he eventually did it. He figured it out. So I moved them closer to the garage wall and just out of range of his back little paws there. And that seemed to solve that problem. (laughs) Uh, Lawrence, the birds are being well-fed. As you mentioned, more folks putting out feed. It means they're grubbing down a little bit. Maybe they're putting on the COVID-19 a lot of humans have been putting on during lockdown. I know the last time I got on a treadmill, uh, things were a little bit uh, rockier than in previous experiences due to uh, some of the poor choices made during COVID-19. Now, some of these birds are migratory, which means they've got a big flight coming up, and some of them have already started migrating. Is there a possibility that some of this extra food in their belly might have an impact on their migration patterns? 
Well, there's the kind of uh, food too, right? And that's a good point. Uh, you know, they say not to feed ducks bread. They get these crazy feathers that grow as a result of that type of protein. So they get the feathers sort of twist and they, they're not, you know, suitable for flight. So if you want to, you know, put a nail in a duck's coffin, feed it a lot of bread over the summer, it isn't, it's not going anywhere come fall. But when it comes back to birds, and the bird feeders, yeah, you know, the, the numbers have dropped off and a lot of the uh, migratory birds have started to leave. But there are a lot of birds that overwinter in Canada, the hardy Canadian birds, you know, the, the tough ones. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're going to feed them, if you're going to keep the food in the uh, bird feeder, don't wimp out come February. That, that, that's the coldest month. People say, well, the snow's too deep. It's too cold. You know, you just forget about it. I'm not going out there. That's the time they need it the most. So, you know, you've got, you've built up this dependency. They, you love them. They love your food. You, got, you can't just divorce them midwinter and cut them adrift. The other thing you can do is, you know, a lot of people grow flowers in pots and, you know, different things in their backyard, flower beds. You, you know, they, we always hear, you know, clean up your gardens, pull your plants, trim everything back for the, for the winter. We leave our flowers standing all winter in the pots everywhere. And come like February, when, when the birds are really hungry, they'll come to all those flowers and they'll eat the seeds out of the heads of the flower pods. So, you know, it, it's not unusual to see five, 10 birds out there just pecking away at the different uh, flowers we have. Mm. You know, it's a good, it just presents a, a better variety of food. So they're not just eating one type of food all winter. They have other sources of food. It's a backup. So yeah, leave your flowers, let, let them stand for the winter, take them out in the spring, replant that. Lawrence, along those lines, a bit of an ethical question here. We're always mm being told maybe don't feed wild animals why do we make an exception for birds i think you know it's just it's pleasure i had a neighbor once he fed the birds and uh, and and he had a bird feeder on his railing on his deck and i said well I, your cats are going to get in that he goes i know he said he said bird feeds a lot cheaper than cat food oh my gosh. Like, well that's just nasty but a, a cat can eat it can kill about 2500 birds a year a single cat. So, you know, if you want to do something for your birds in nature, I mean, we're losing birds. The number of bird, the population is dropping uh, quite significantly, you know, for whatever reason, windows, um, you know, windmills. There's a bunch of things that are causing issues with birds, you know, and pollution as well and climate change, you know, their, their whole system and schedule is being messed up. They're showing up too soon they you know it gets warmer in the springs they fly up north they start to uh, you know lay their nests and and their food supply hasn't come out yet because mm. the ground's still frozen and then they got nothing to eat and they have to wait two three weeks for the food supply to show up so everything's getting out of sync a little bit so you know putting some food out there is not a bad idea but keep your cats inside i like that i like that birds outside cats inside and we can all live a life of harmony uh lauren so very quickly what's coming up <laughs> in outdoors uh tomorrow night well, you know, I don't know how many of our listeners uh, have attended the CNIB Lake Joseph Center camp up there in the Muskokas over the years. It's coming up there, their 60th anniversary wow. in 2021. They had, a, they had a bad year this year. I mean, this is, I think, the second time ever in their history that they had to shut. And they, they shut down at the end. Of, you know, they never opened at all, but they, they switched over to virtual programming. So I'm talking to the general manager. We've got him describing the, some of this virtual programming that they're going to continue on. It's going to be a staple 
for uh, Lake Joe Center now. And the things they've been doing over the summer to, you know, they didn't just sit by idly. They they were hard at work, you know, adding and, 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 and getting things ready. And they've got a lot of really cool things in store. It's a cool bucket list. So we've, we put them on our bucket list. We got Miss Lily coming back for uh, <laughs> some weird, uh, abusive uh, interaction. No, I shouldn't say abusive. She's... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, we got a bunch of stuff coming up. Yeah, Miss Lillard's coming on, and it won't be as tenuous as the American uh, presidential debates, but uh, maybe just uh, one level down. Hey, Lawrence, always fun catching up with you, my friend. We'll uh, talk to you in a couple weeks. Outdoor tips and tech. When I was researching for this episode of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, I came across a gentleman who's a blind birder, and he was working for several years as a communication officer for the Audubon Society. The Audubon Society specializes in birds, saving birds, saving bird habitat. Unfortunately, I've been able to reach this gentleman. He's moved on to South Korea, where I think he's teaching English or something. And I've tried reaching him through the Audubon Society and his email address. So far, I haven't heard back from him. Hopefully, we'll get him on the show at some point. But we still have his articles. He's written a series of articles called Birding by Ear. I've taken this from their website. Here's the list of the articles he's written. A Beginner's Guide to Common Bird Sounds and What They Mean. How to start identifying birds by their songs and calls. How to memorize bird songs by using mental images. Are you listening to a bird mimic or the real deal? What's that all about? I mean, are there birds out there mimicking other birds? I wouldn't be surprised. So here's the website. I'm going to spell it out for you. A-U-D-U-B-O-N. That's audubon.org slash section slash birding dash ear. Now, for those who want to take it a little more tacky and have something on their smartphone when they're out there and listening to birds, you know, they have these apps that actually listen to the birds for you and tell you what the name of the bird is. There's a bunch out there. You know, they're not all available in Canada, but this one is. It's called Bird Song ID, capital B-I-R-D, capital S-O-N-G, capital I-D. You can record bird sounds, and then it'll run a little uh, audio AI program and tell you what that bird is. Or you can just go through the list and find out the names of the birds, then a little description of the birds, and listen to a recording of the bird sounds. And get to know the birds in your neighborhood that way. Get to know how to identify them by their songs. I use this app myself. It's quite comprehensive. It takes you right from being a beginning birder all the way up to the details like French and English ways to pronounce the names and the Latin ways to pronounce their names. So it's got everything there for sure. But it's all accessible. It works well with my voiceover on my iPhone. You know where I got my inspiration for this episode on birding? I visited a school for the blind in Sweden, in Stockholm. It's the oldest school in the world for the blind. They had books there, you guys. They had books of Braille that was invented before Louis Braille invented actual Braille. It was really cool. They had two or three different styles of raised letters and symbols that uh, they were using to educate blind children before Louis Braille came up with his method. They also had a case, 
and they opened up the case for me, and there was about 16 compartments in, the, in this wooden case. And in each compartment was a, a beautifully taxidermied bird of each bird in the community. And I said, why would they do that? And they said, well, why shouldn't blind people get to feel what these birds look like? You know, they hear them all the time. And it wouldn't it be nice if they could say, well, that bird looks like this. And they'll know what it feels like, how big it is, and they'll have an explanation of the colors, and they'll make a connection with nature. You know, they don't have to kill a bunch of birds, and maybe these birds were found dead on below a window or something, but they were all beautifully taxidermied, and 150 years later, they still felt perfect to me. A little creepy, I know, but what a great introduction to birds and an understanding of birds that has stuck with me ever since, you know, I always love birds, I always love to hear the birds, and uh, to have that opportunity to feel them too, that's amazing. And I'll be talking more about other locations where you can actually touch wild animals. You know, their heads, their beaks, their claws, their mouths, their teeth. You know, they have these places where you can do this. Come back and visit us again on Outdoors with me, Lawrence Gunther. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit me at lawrencegunther.com to keep up to date on my blogs and videos. Subscribe to get the latest episodes of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther by visiting your favorite podcast provider. We're dropping new episodes every Friday, folks. And please take some time to rank us and give us some comments on your podcast provider's site so other people will learn about our new show. Send me your feedback, suggestions, and questions on email at feedback at ami.ca or on Twitter at AMI-audio. I want to thank Nazreen Abdel-Majid, Sam Robinson, and Paula Deneen. They're my technicians. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.